A $3,200 PFD. From the capital city, I'm Kevin Allen. The Alaska legislature approved a state spending package yesterday that would pay residents about $3,200 this year after a vote that would have boosted the payout to about $3,850 and narrowly failed the House. A tentative budget agreement reached by House and Senate negotiators Tuesday called for a dividend of about $2,500 this year plus a $1,300 energy relief check. The Senate approved the budget 19 to 1 and reached the required threshold to access the reserve account with a 15 to 5 vote. Before the House reached a decision, the Senate passed the operating budget. During Senate floor debate, Senator Bill Wilkowski said, This is actually getting what the governor asked for, if not a little bit larger. So I, I know uh, people in this room have fought very hard for a full dividend. This is uh, a, a place where we don't always get our way, uh, but this is a very, very good compromise, and I am going to be very happy to push the green button, Mr. President. Thank you. The House passed the budget 33-7, to 7, and support from at least 30 representatives was needed in a subsequent vote to access the reserve account and pay the additional $650. Representative Sarah Rasmussen said on the floor, My office did reach out to our ledge finance director, Mr. Painter. The state of Alaska only has one mechanism to distribute money to Alaskans, and that is as a dividend. So regardless of what we call the payment, um, it is going to go out from one account. It is maybe shuffling money in some ways, but the vote that we're about to take is whether or not we support $650 going out to Alaskans. That money is held harmless and Alaskans will receive it at the exact same time that the permanent fund dividend hits their bank account. So voting no effectively says no to $650. And so for the vote... 29 yeas, 11 nays. With 29 yeas and 11 nays... The appropriation has failed to pass the House. So now the legislature has landed on a $3,200 check. The initial distribution of online filed applications is scheduled for October 6th. Checks for the paper filed applications won't go out in the mail until later in October. Both the House and Senate then adjourned sine die. Two finalists for the $1 billion Build Back Better Regional Challenge are from Southeast Alaska, and U.S. Assistant Secretary of Commerce for Economic Development Alejandra Costello was in Juneau to meet with finalists. The two Southeast organizations that are finalists are Spruce Root, with an initiative regarding Southeast Alaska's sustainable forest products, and Southeast Conference with its Alaska Mariculture Initiative. Costello spoke to News of the North about her visit to Juneau and the work of the department in narrowing down the finalists. Under the American Rescue Plan, which was uh, among President Biden's first um, acts as president, the Economic Development Administration, which is part of the U.S. Department of Commerce, received $3 billion um, in terms of uh, making sure that we were able to design and execute on grants that were going to be transformative, really to bring back communities, particularly after this pandemic. The Under the American Rescue Plan, EDA has six grants, and the largest one is the Spill Back Better Regional Challenge. This is the most exciting piece of it because we're talking about regional economic development. We're not talking about cities. We're talking about how does the economy really impact a particular region. And we received that grant was uh, allocated a billion dollars, and we received 529 applications from all across the country. 
According to Castello, the grant has been allocated to $1 billion. The Commerce Department received 529 applications from all across the country, from large and small communities, with an eye towards transformational economic development. And I have to say, here in, in Alaska, we had um, we have to dwindle that uh, 529 application to 60. And today here in Juneau, I was able to talk to some of the participants. It is a testament, one, of the competitive nature of the grant, but two, of the innovative ideas that um, are really sp- uh, spurring here in, in Alaska that was able to garner two slots on that finalist list. The two-phase competition will ultimately award 20 to 30 regional coalitions between 25 and 100 million to implement three to eight projects that support an industry sector. The City and Borough of Juneau Assembly Finance Committee met yesterday in Assembly Chambers at City Hall. The mission of the committee was to pass the city's next budget and included a summary update from City Finance Director Jeff Rogers. Rogers gave an overview to include comment on what $16 million in school bond debt reimbursement might mean for Juno. With the assembly changes, you would have taken a $3.4 million deficit and roughly doubled it to something about, you know, a little more than $7 million. But after $16 million of uh, unexpected state revenue, the budget still produces a surplus in FY23 of $8.8 million. So, you know, it's not, not inconceivable that you would say, well, the manager's budget is already effectively reduced by the amount that we're going to lapse. So really a million and a half deficit from the manager, you get something like a $5 million deficit after your own actions and offset by $16 million of unexpected revenue. Rogers says the pandemic's financial drawdown was unprecedented, but the $16 million will help despite future deficits that are predicted. Committee member Michelle Bonnet-Hale asked if there was any signal from Governor Dunleavy about vetoing school bond debt reimbursement. Mums the word from the governor, according to Rogers. Do you have a sense, uh, has the governor signaled uh, any interest in vetoing that school bond debt reimbursement? Or do we know the position of the governor on that? So thank you. Assemblymember Hale, Chair Treem, we, um, the governor has said almost nothing publicly about what he would consider vetoing and not vetoing. Um, in fact, the media has said he's, as a governor, he's been unusually tight-lipped on that subject. Um, we intuit from our lobbyists that, um, that the, that, the, that the conference committee action to reduce the dividend to make the size and scale of the overall budget deficit smaller reduces the pressure on the governor to veto things. Rogers added that this is an election year, so anything could happen. Rogers also recapped the manager's decision list to the committee. So $1.7 million is the total of actions that the assembly has taken just off of the decision list. 75 from hotel bed tax, 108 from the affordable housing fund, 930,700 of one-time costs, and 615,700 of ongoing general fund costs. And we have a mill rate equivalent for both of those things, um, just just as a way to remind the cells that we have to pay for things. Um, one note I would make about on time, one, one-time costs um, is that in my experience on the assembly, which is not as long as some of yours, um, one-time costs become long-term costs. So um, I wouldn't discount those moving completely, moving into 24, 25, 26. It just means that 
next year you will make that decision rather than the manager. And committee member Greg Smith proposed an unchanged 10.56 mill rate, which passed the body. I'm proposing a flat mill rate from the prior year to essentially have some sensitivity to the cost increases that our property taxpayers are are seeing, as well as in a way that I think is a decent way for the assembly to put some downward pressure on the budget. The budget now moves to the full assembly for consideration. The chief of Juno police spoke on the new armored rescue vehicle while a guest on action line, stating it will be vital to the department's work. Chief Ed Mercer. This piece of equipment is going to be, be vital to us providing the public safety that is needed in our community. It, it's, it's a piece of equipment that I don't see that it's going to be used all the time, but it will be deployed when necessary in certain circumstances. Mercer was asked to address the concern of police militarization. I will tell you that although we are a uniform service and we go out and we like we go to the police academy and it's it's quasi-military, we have structure similar to the military. We're not military. We are civilian police. We have uh, laws that we have to abide by. We have to follow the Constitution as far as how we go out and enforce the laws. And, you know, there is a there is a, a vast difference when it comes to military police opposed to civilian police. They have a lot more authority when it comes to see, search and seizure, especially on their on their bases and where they have jurisdiction and whatnot. Where we have things we have to follow within within the confines of, of our constitutions. Mercer said there's a big difference between civilian and military police. Mercer was asked about the surprise some had at the move to buy the vehicle. This was a, a learning point for myself and others. This is the first time that I'm aware of, especially down in our region, our southeast region. I, I don't know of any other police department that currently has an armored vehicle. Fairbanks has one. Anchorage has one. Police departments up in the interior have them. Mercer said this was not a spontaneous purchase and has been in the works for some time. Senate Bill 45 passed the House yesterday. The bill implements two key policies, which are to align state law with federal law in raising the minimum age to buy, sell, or possess tobacco and electronic smoking products from age 19 to 21, and to include electronic smoking products under the wholesale tax structure in existence for other tobacco products. The bill is being carried by Senator Gary Stevens and Representative Sarah Hannon. Hannon spoke to the bill on the House floor. The focus of this bill and the intent of the bill is to protect our children from becoming addicted to the highly addictive substance of nicotine. We've done a great job in this country of reducing the addiction to smoking and nicotine. In 1995, 37% of teenagers reporting having smoke. By 2019, that was down to less than 8%. This multi-billion dollar industry of tobacco and nicotine saw this decline in their users and developed a new modernized way to consume a product that is highly addictive. And thus, e-cigarettes came around. Hannon says electronic smoking products have been previously untaxed. An amendment to raise the tax on e-cigarettes from 25 to 35% passed on a 23 to 15 vote Tuesday. The bill as a whole passed yesterday on a vote of 31 to 9. The Alaska legislature has passed a measure to formally recognize tribes in the state. 
The House voted 37-2 to 2 Tuesday to accept a Senate version of the bill that passed last week. The bill next goes to the governor. Supporters of the bill say it is an overdue step that would create opportunities for the state and tribes to work together. The measure is similar to an initiative that was slated to go before voters later this year. The campaign group behind the initiative says the bill and initiative are functionally identical. Initiatives that qualify for the ballot can be bumped if the legislature passes substantially similar legislation first. The Capital City Republican women held a GOP forum for a select group of candidates to succeed the late Don Young Monday night. The Juno group invited five candidates, but four attended. Former Senator John Coghill, Senator Josh Revac, Nick Baggage III, and Tara Sweeney. Revac said he supports the state's right to decide the issue. I'm pro-life. I think that uh, I'm also uh, in favor of states' rights. And, and if, if, that, if that draft opinion stands, that's what will happen, is, is it'll put the ability to vote uh, in the hands of the people and the states. It wouldn't change anything here in Alaska now. Um, but again, I'm, I'm pro-life, certainly uh, not. I, I, I'm, I don't think it's a good idea uh, to not allow a procedure if it means the life of the baby and the mother, you know. So, um, so I think that's something that that definitely take a look at. But I'm pro-life. Sweeney said she opposes the federal government dictating the role of women's reproductive rights. As the only woman on this stage, uh, I take a libertarian approach to this issue. I personally believe in the sanctity of life. I don't believe that federal funds should be used to pay for abortions, but I also feel, again, that the federal government has no role in telling a woman what to do with her reproductive health. Baggage said he thinks the LTO opinion is correct. I believe that the draft opinion that was, that was leaked and later confirmed by the courts uh, is in sound constitutional interpretation. When you go back to the original decision, uh, under the 14th Amendment, it was really a stretch uh, to justify that ruling in 1973. And I believe that under the 10th Amendment, any rights that have not been specifically reserved for the federal government are returned to the states. And I believe that that, uh, that, that draft decision is in keeping with the Constitution. Coghill said the unborn are human beings and must be valued. You have to value the unborn child. That's a human being that needs to be protected. But the woman is also a human being and you have to protect them the best you can. So you have those choices in front of you. And, and I, I suppose there's times when a triage is gonna have to happen, but I am for the life, however we can get to keep that life safe. Ballots were mailed beginning April 27th. In the special election, you will vote for just one candidate and you must return your ballot by June 11th. Ketchikan Borough Mayor Rodney Dial informed the Ketchikan Assembly this week of his intent to veto funding to Ketchikan Pride Alliance. The Assembly recently approved funding of just more than $1,600 to the group. The initial ask was $3,276. Dial says he voted the funding because the Pride Alliance is a special interest group and the borough historically does not fund groups like that. The long-standing historical practice of the borough has been to fund organizations that provide services to others. Um, we've never really gotten into the realm of uh, providing funding to advocacy groups. And one of the reasons for that is, is because 
we want to have a sense of fairness. And so, for example, if we were to fund something like a pro-abortion group in a matter of fairness, citizens would expect that we would also fund in a like manner an anti-abortion group. Dial added that he believes there is public opposition to funding groups that have a political mission. And Dial says special interest groups should fundraise rather than seek money from the borough. And to be quite honest, the uh, spotlight that's been on this veto and this grant process has uh, helped them with their fundraising. So I just, I'm just trying to keep the citizens from being divided. And this is going to be a divisive issue, and uh, it's just not going to go over well if it's finally approved. In his veto message to the Assembly, Dial urged them not to pursue a veto override. U.S. Senate Republicans are calling on the Biden administration to ramp up domestic oil production as gas prices show no sign of coming down. Senator Lisa Murkowski says the high prices have a ripple effect for many of the rural communities in her state, especially the ones who rely on heating oil. Murkowski says the high prices can't fully be blamed on the war in Ukraine. Yes, there is a war. Yes, we recognize that. But this, these price increases started long before Putin crossed into Ukraine. Bukowski says more supply needs to be circulated into the marketplace. Never miss a story or a newscast at KEINYradio.com. Now you're up to date. For News of the North, this is Kevin Allen.